0: Amen. Boy, is it hot enough out there for all of you? Boy, it's warm out. When it's hot like this outside, I th- say thank God it doesn't stay this way forever like hell will. All right? So we're not in hell, we're in temporary heat. That's it. Now, it's hot out hundred and six on my way here. Today I was riding my new bike. I'm just going to go ahead and share with you. By the way, thank you so much. It's beautiful. It's like there's nothing underneath you. It's like you're flying. And right when I was saying, seriously, I was riding and I was saying this to myself about the bike. Where have you been all my life? (laughs) And I heard And I had a flat, yep. Changed it in 102 degrees. It wasn't a lot of fun, but I got back on the bike and started going again and pshh. You know why? Because I put too much air in it. Why am I sharing this? Because I needed to get it off my heart. And so I had two flats. One wasn't my fault. The second one was. I called Bob Denton, my faithful helper back there. Bob, I'm, I'm, I've got a flat. I need you to come help me. Right then, these two guys went by. You okay? And I said, no. I need a tube, and I need air. And they pulled up, good Samaritans. I said, Bob, I think I'm okay, hung up. And they gave me a tube, and they gave me air. I changed it for the third time. Got back on the bike, said nothing good about the bike. I didn't want to tempt fate, you know what I mean. But it is a beautiful machine, and I really appreciate it. I just need to say that. There we go. So things don't always go the way you think they will. And and life happens when you're making other plans. Have you ever noticed that? So we're going to talk about that tonight. Responding to disappointment. Now, read this verse with me. It's a great one. Uh, Proverbs 13:12. Read it out loud with me. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Isn't that the truth? When you're let down, when life doesn't happen the way you think it's going to, when things don't go the way you had planned them to go, it has a way of making the heart sick, especially if you're really looking forward to something and it falls through then it makes the heart sick. But when you get that desire fulfilled, it's like a tree of life for you. Now, we're going to deal with disappointment tonight. Let's look at defining disappointment. Disappointment as it relates to faith and our walk with God springs from two basic sources. First one is unmet expectations. This is big, great big one. And here's when unmet expectations happen. When things happen we did not want to happen. Things happen we didn't expect to happen. It really kicks you when you were expecting something totally opposite. And you're believing for it. You're naming it, claiming it, blabbing it, grabbing it, calling it, hauling it. And you just know a certain thing is going to happen. And not only does it not happen, but the opposite happens. Then you have unmet expectations. Then things do not happen that you hoped would happen. That's the first, unmet expectations. That's where disappointment comes in. Second one, false expectations. This one's really big. That's assuming a thing is God's will when it wasn't. 1 John 5, 14, if we pray according to his will, he hears us. This is so important. This is why, as a teacher and a preacher of the Word, I have to study hard, I do my very best, not to misrepresent what you should expect from God. Because if I get up and tell you God's gonna do certain things and I, I take the, the scriptures and I teach them in a way that encourages you and, and convinces you that God should do certain things, when it doesn't happen, if I'm wrong, if I'm not rightly dividing that word of truth and you walk away with a false concept of God, then you experience a huge letdown. False expectations can really bring an offense to your faith. I'm going to talk about an offense in just a minute, what it means. But um, just keep that in mind. This is why it's so important that we understand the whole counsel of God. You shouldn't just major on a few pet verses in Scripture, but you want the whole counsel of God. You you want every belief you've got to be supported by not only Bible passages, but the context they're in, the the chapter they're in, the book they're in, and in light of the entire Bible, rightly dividing the word of truth. Very important, because you're going to walk away with beliefs about God. Now, False expectations rise from a wrong view of God's ways. It's so important to know God's ways. And you read your Bible and you'll learn God's ways. A lot of us don't understand God's timing. We don't understand God's character. There are Christians who don't understand God's judgment. They don't understand His ways. So as we grow in our faith, we need to orient ourselves to... Not just a few promises in the Bible, but a good understanding of God and his ways. Now, it also comes from a lack of understanding of spiritual warfare. A lot of times our prayers are not answered the way we thought they would be because we're in spiritual warfare and we don't know it. We don't understand it. You would be shocked at how many believers in different churches throughout the country do not understand spiritual warfare, don't even believe there's a devil tell you, the church is is not in a great place in America in a lot of ways. And um, this Sunday, as a matter of fact, this weekend, I'm going to be speaking on the myth of separation of church and state. And it's going to be another encouragement to believers to get off our blessed assurance and do something about what is going on in America. Because we have not been called to sit on the sidelines. Amen? Now, Disappointment also arises from wrong interpretations of past events. Something happens in your past, and you come away from it with an understanding that is false, that is erroneous. You blame it on God, or you blame it on other things, and you attribute what happened to you. A lot of people attribute things that happened to them in their past that deeply wounded them. They attribute it to God. They blame God. And when you attach false meaning to past events, it really leads to disappointments. Now, meaning about our value and significance, we we walk away going, uh, something negative happens to us, and here's what we say. Wow, am I worth God's love? Is it because God didn't love me this happened to me? Is it because there's something in my life that has made him turn on me, that this happened to me. It must be that there's something in me that made God turn on me or that God's not really blessing me or hearing my prayer. And we can blame it on our lack of faith. We can blame it on things that really are not what is at fault. For instance, it may have been spiritual warfare, but you attach a wrong significance to what you went through, and it leads to disappointment because you're misinterpreting what happened? A wrong view of God. What voices you listen to in explaining the facts. There's all kinds of people. Job's counselors, you ever study those guys? Job's counselors. Job's friends, man, they made his life three times more miserable because they came to Job and immediately began to dump on him that it was all his fault that it was secret sin in his life. That he, he had done this and he had done that. And if he was right with God, this would never have happened to him. And they heap condemnation and false guilt and all these things on Job. It matters what voices you listen to when they start to interpret things you're going through. Are you there? Because not everybody has the mind of the Spirit. Not everybody understands God's ways. And if you have people speaking into your life saying, well, here's why you're going through this, and here's what I think is wrong, you've got to be careful what you listen to. You need to listen to mature, spirit-filled people who understand God's ways and have a good grip on the Word of God. Otherwise, you can be taken for a ride. Now, disappointment undermines our faith. It does. If you don't watch it, disappointment will affect your faith faith in God's goodness? Is God really good? Oh, the devil will beat you up when you're disappointed. Is God really good? Oh, if he's good, look at you. Look at what's happening to you. How can God be good and this is going on with you? Or what about faith in God's power? Well, God's not strong enough to deliver me or he's not strong enough to heal me or he's not strong enough to deal with this mountain in my life. And so when you're disappointed, you tend to marginalize God and maximize the circumstances. Faith in God's presence. Well, he wasn't with me. If he'd been with me, this wouldn't have happened. Church, never make a major decision when you're disappointed. Don't ever do it. Always make your major decisions when you are full of faith and when you understand God's ways and when you have deep peace about it. Don't ever make a major decision when you're disappointed because you will make wrong decisions. Boy, I'm disappointed in this marriage. I'm out. Boy, I'm disappointed in this job. I'm out of here. Man, I'm disappointed in whatever. So I'm going to make a major life-altering decision. Don't do it. Wait for God to speak. Wait for God to speak. Now, the antidote for disappointment is correcting false expectations. You gotta deal with your expectations. You got to. When I'm disappointed, how do I handle it? Do I walk around in the moly grubs? Do I walk around in a dark cloud? Do I close my Bible, get out of prayer, get out of fellowship, pick, pick up my marbles and go home? How do I deal with false expectations when I thought this was gonna happen In a certain way, in a certain time, and it did not happen that way. And I just knew God was going to do it that way. I just knew God was going to answer me that way. I had a vision, I had a dream, and it was confirmed by four different prophets. And it didn't happen. What do you do then? Healing past wounds, keeping the testimony. Now let's talk about keeping the testimony. Look what it says about John. We're going to look at false expectations in John the Baptist. Did you know that he had a major ordeal with doubt? John the Baptist. Watch this. Now, when John heard in prison, he remember he's in prison for preaching the truth to an adulterer. Remember that Herod's brother had committed adultery, had married, had seduced a woman. Away from her marriage and had married her, and John the Baptist, not being politically correct, spoke against it. And it infuriated the woman. And she had him arrested and put in prison. So here he is, he's down there in prison for speaking the word of God. Now, he's in prison about, and he hears about the deeds of the Christ, the one that he had baptized in water. And he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who's talking here? The one who, when he saw Jesus coming said what? Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now what's going on with him? Are you the one or do we look for another? I'm so glad the Bible tells the truth about the people in it because here's a guy that was full of faith, the, the, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, who was sent to declare and blaze the trail for his appearance and now here he is having a doubt fit. Here he is in prison and doubt is attacking him and he's wondering if he was right. He's second-guessing everything he thought. Ever been there? He's second-guessing everything he thought and he's saying, He sent a messenger from the depths of this depressing prison and said, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? This is John the Baptist who baptized him and was there when the spirit came down like a dove on Jesus' head and heard the voice, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Are you the one? Or do we look for another? And Jesus answered the messenger. And look what Jesus said. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one, now read this with me, everybody. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Who's he talking to? He's talking to John the Baptist. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. He's talking to John. What do you mean by that? Now stop and think for a minute. Consider his situation. We already know that he understood his own calling based upon his reading passages in the Old Testament like Isaiah. How did John the Baptist understand his calling? Isaiah prophesied his ministry. So he got his credentials and the understanding of his calling from the Word of God. Look what Isaiah prophesied. A voice cries... In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. What did John the Baptist say about himself? I'm the one who is called to prepare the way of the Lord, to make straight in the desert a path, a highway for God. That's me. That's who Isaiah was talking about. And he had his identity as a man and as a man of God came from the word of God spoken about him. And then another one, and this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask John the Baptist, who are you? Look what John said. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they said, well, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. And he said, well, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said, well, then who are you? And he and we need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he quoted Isaiah. He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He said, I'm the man. I'm that man. He was a man who understood his own sense of calling based on the language from Isaiah. Who specifically, John saw himself as a forerunner of Messiah. And he was very familiar with what Isaiah had to say about the Messiah. If he knew exactly what Isaiah said about him, he surely knew what Isaiah said about the Messiah, right? Love healing, miracle deliverances, miracle ministry. Isaiah continued in chapter 35, for waters break forth in the wilderness. Street And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. Miracle after miracle after miracle of healing, miracle deliverances, miracle ministry. Isaiah continued in chapter 35, For waters break forth in the wilderness streams in the desert. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. He's talking about Jesus here. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Now, what did he say? From the where? Prison. From the where? Prison. Prison. Who was sitting in prison? Now John knew that Isaiah said, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Can you see what from these passages might have seemed especially relevant to John? He's supposed to get me out of prison. Consider, but that's not the prison Jesus was talking about. But John was uncertain about that. He said, I'm in prison. Isaiah said he's going to open the prison doors. Consider Jesus' own self-understanding of calling expressed in Luke 4. It says Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled that scroll and found the place where, this is his first hometown sermon. And man, he got a reception that would have made me want to walk away from ministry. Because he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Isaiah 61, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He he stood in the pulpit of his in the synagogue he had visited all through his boyhood now Jesus fresh out of the wilderness freshly anointed by God stands in the pulpit it says every eye was fastened on him and he quoted Isaiah 61 and closed it and said this day this word is fulfilled in your ears and they took him and they they, they lunged at him and they persecuted him, and they attacked him. And he did not have a great altar call. They chased him out of town. Now, in light of John's understanding that Jesus would be a miracle worker, it is completely realistic that while in prison, John had a clear and definite expectation that Jesus would demonstrate his identity as Messiah by delivering him from prison. I'm in here for preaching righteousness. I called sin, sin. I took a stand. I baptized Jesus. I called him the son of God. There's the lamb of God. I've been true to the call of God in my life. Here I sit in prison. Where is he? Do you get it? Where is he? I've been in here days. Now it's weeks. Where is he? His understanding of Scripture said he ought to be coming and getting me out. He'll open the prison to those that are bound. I'm bound. I'm in here for doing something right. I took my stand. He's out there healing sick people, casting out devils, walking on water, doing all kinds of miracles. The entire power of all the heavens is at his disposal. Where is he? Have you ever said that to yourself? Come on, where is he? Come on, church, don't play holy with me. Get your halos off your head. How many of you have ever said, man, I've prayed, I've done all the right things, I'm standing on the word. Where is he? He's dealing with disappointment. Where is he? Where is he? What Mary and Martha were saying, their brother's in the grave. He was sick for days. Jesus knew about it. They sent a messenger to him. He doesn't come, he doesn't come. He doesn't come. He doesn't come. Lazarus gets worse and worse and worse. They start asking the same question, where is he? I'm telling you, this walk of faith, there's going to be times where you are going to say, where is he? They said, where is he? Well, Lazarus died. The funeral's in full motion. He's been now put in there, in that grave. Those stones have been rolled over. It's over. It looks done. And when everything is done and he's been in the grave four days, then Jesus shows up. Mary and Martha were not thrilled. They went right up to him. If you had been here, I mean, I'm telling you, this, I think this was her tone. Well, hello, Jesus. Thought you were our friend. We've had you to our house. If you'd been here when he was sick, he wouldn't be in that tomb. And Jesus wept. And Jesus said, just take me to the tomb. Then here comes the other sister. Do you believe that he'll rise, Jesus said? Well, I believe he'll rise in the last day. Translated, if you'd been here on time, we wouldn't be talking about the last days. Their attitude was, where were you? John's was, where are you? It had to do with not understanding his ways or being a little bit misinformed about his purposes. And so sometimes you've got to learn through some hard knocks. Sometimes you've got to learn from being disappointed and not understanding. And going through a time where when you don't understand his hand, you've got to trust his heart. Because sometimes it's timing. He knows exactly what he's doing. If Jesus had healed Lazarus from a simple fever, it would not have been that big a deal. But he had a bigger plan. His plan was to get him up from the dead. He knew that Lazarus was dying. He knew that by the time he arrived, he'd be in the grave. He said so. He told his disciples, let's go. Lazarus is dead. Let's go. And then he said, move that stone away. I'm going to show you way more than healing a fever. I'm going to get him up from the dead. And they thought he was crazy. But he had a time And he had a way and he had a plan that they did not see. And that's my point tonight. Sometimes there's a way and there's a plan and there's a time and it's bigger, wider, higher, deeper than we know. And sometimes you've just got to trust. When this expectation of John's was not met, John's faith in Jesus as Messiah began to weaken. Hence the messengers and their question. Are you the one? It's pivotal pivotal that we understand Jesus' answer. You go and tell John what you see and hear. Jesus then lists several things that could clearly be understood as messianic fulfillment of promises in Isaiah. The one thing Jesus left off of his recitation of Isaiah was the part about prisoners being released. He left that off when he told the messenger, you go tell him what you see in here. And then blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Now let's talk about offended for a minute because I'm going to tell you, there's people not in church tonight, not here, well, maybe here, but in churches all over America, all over the world, who aren't in church anymore, aren't praying anymore, aren't in fellowship anymore because they got offended with God because of an unmet expectation, a failed expectation. The Greek word for offended is scandalizzo. Scandalizzo. You recognize the word scandal. The English word scandal comes from a Greek word, scandalizzo, and it means a trap, a stumbling block, to cause to stumble and fall. You're walking along on a sidewalk and you don't see that it rises a little bit, that it's not even, you're not looking, your foot hits it and you fall, you trip and you fall, you stumble. And you skin your knee. It's that idea in the spiritual world. You're walking along and something trips you up, and you fall, and your faith is skinned, and you're bleeding, you didn't see it coming, It wasn't what you were expecting, and you become offended. You get offended with God. Where were you? Where was your presence? Where was your power? John, where are you? Mary and Martha, where were you? In the New Testament, figuratively, to be a stumbling block to someone, you can be a stumbling block to another person. To cause to stumble at or in something, to give a cause, of offense to someone else, you make someone else trip. You tempt somebody into sin, you were an offender. If you do that, you tempt somebody into sin, you're an offender. You're making them stumble. Somebody does that to you. You trip up. You're tripped up. Somebody that lures another person into, into say, drugs or immorality, sexual sin. One of, I mean, there's a, a, a thousand things that can be, but that person that lures is the offender. They're causing another person to stumble. Or the offended. You are the one that was tripped up. You didn't see it coming. You can't believe you did what you did as much as anybody else has a hard time believing you did what you did. You didn't see it coming. Bloop! Generally, it means to, to offend or to vex, particularly to scandalize. So it further means to be offended by somebody, to take offense at his character, his words, his conduct, so as to reject him. Now, Jesus said... Blessed is the person who's not scandalized by me. Y'all get that? I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but I've seen it happen to a lot of people. You're actually offended at God. You you, you are scandalized by God because you expected something that didn't happen. And you go, where were you? Where was your power? Where was your presence? I was standing on your word. Why did this happen to me? And you trip. You trip. You're getting it, right, church? Okay. We must be careful not to stumble, not to fall into the trap of being offended by Jesus. What does offended mean in this context? It means to stumble into the trap of unbelief, resulting from disappointment or unmet expectations. Specifically, Jesus doesn't do the thing that John understands from Scripture that Jesus can, should, and will do. What solution does Jesus recommend? He directs John, and this is good. He directs John's attention away from what Jesus hasn't done and isn't doing onto what Jesus has done and is doing. What do you do when you get offended or when you trip or when you have an unmet expectation, a failed expectation, and you don't understand what God's up to? Let me tell you what you do. You look for what he is doing and dive in. You just dive in. Don't focus on what he hadn't done because you're eventually going to get scandalized. And I see it happen to people. They get out of church. They get out of church. They leave church. You wonder, where's this person gone? I haven't seen them in a while. And that happens to me a lot as a pastor. I haven't seen them in a while. Where'd they go? And and if I happen to, to run into them or call them, if I listen long enough, I will hear it. That there was something that didn't happen, something where their their expectations were not met, and they didn't handle it right, and their spirit man cooled to God, and they went from front row to back row, to here, from being here every time the door is open, to being here once or twice a month, and then they're gone all together, and the scandalizo, the scandalizing of their faith, finally results in being out there, lukewarm, disillusioned, disenchanted, down, blue, angry. Boy, it's real tonight, isn't it? But I've been a pastor a long time. I see the I I know what this looks like. I can feel it on somebody. If they'll tell you the truth, say, well, why are you out? Why have you cut yourself off? And if they're really true, well, back there, either one of God's people did something that made me trip, or I thought God was going to do a certain thing, and it just didn't happen that way for me, and I don't understand it, and I just didn't want to hang on. I just didn't want to persevere. I'm just out here licking my wounds. But if you're not careful, you'll build a house on lick your wound street. And you know what it is? It's a cul-de-sac. It goes nowhere but in circles. And you build your house there. And you invite other lick your wound people over. And you have a lick your wound pity party. And you have a lick your wound club. And 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 when we run into you and say how's it going? All we hear is you licking your wounds. But the, the best way to do it is when, when your expectations fail, look for what God is doing and don't focus on what he's not doing. And jump in with both feet. And, and, and get into the flow. And you'll find that when you're in the flow and staying with it and going with it, that, that what it was that messed you up back there, God starts talking about it, talking to it, healing it, fixing it, as you are going along doing what you know to do. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. This alone is the right response to disappointment. Jesus doesn't explain himself to John. Jesus doesn't change his course. He didn't say, oops, we better run to that prison and let him out before his faith fails. Did he? He just kept on going. Jesus instructs John to change his focus. This represents exactly how we must respond in the face of disappointment. We must direct our attention away from what God hasn't done and isn't doing. We must direct our attention toward what God has done and is doing. Why is the wrong question? What now is far better? You can die in why. God's not obligated to tell you why. I can't tell you how many times I've said why to God about certain things. I finally just gave up and realized he was telling me, get off of why and get on to what now. What now is dive into the stream of what he's doing and leave the wise to him. That's wise. The Ark of the Covenant. Let's look at it for a minute. This ties in. The writer of Hebrews describes the Ark of the Covenant. Very important. Quote, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding. Now watch, three things are in the Ark of the Covenant the manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. So you had Moses' law, you had Aaron's rod that budded, and you had an example or manna. You had manna. Now the ark contained those three items, manna. Now let's look at the manna. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations. Hang on to an omer of the manna you fed on for 40 years. I want you to remember it. So that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness. When I brought you out of the land of Egypt, I want your children and children's children to be able to see it and remember how I fed you, how I took care of you. Then Aaron's staff that budded, quote, Then you shall deposit them in the tent. Now, here's what had happened. Aaron's authority had been challenged. So God said, I'm going to give you a solution. I want a leader from the 12 tribes, Aaron from one of them, and 11 other leaders, and I want the staff that they all carried as shepherds, the, the staff, the rod that they used for sheep herding. I want you to take every man his rod, and I want you to go into the tent of meeting, and I want you to lean them up against the wall. I'm going to show you the principle of all true ministry. You lean those dead rods up against the wall. And the rod, we're going to leave them there overnight. And the rod that buds, that blossoms, that produces flowers and leaves during the night, is the rod of the man I've called. The principle of true ministry is I make life come out of what is dead. The principle of true ministry is I make life come out of something that could never produce life on its own. True ministry is God's life coming out of a person who is in and of themselves a jar of clay but I make life come out of them. They couldn't do it themselves. They could never make it happen themselves. It, they blossom and they bud because my hand is on them, not because of anything in themselves. And that way we're gonna end the debate of who's anointed and who's not. Are y'all getting it? So they lean those 12 rods up against the wall of the Ten of meeting and the next morning. Oh wow. Here's what Moses said. Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And the staff of the man whom I choose will sprout. Thus I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of Israel which they grumble against you. And so Moses spoke to the people of Israel and all their chiefs gave him staffs, one for each chief according to their father's houses, 12 staffs, and the staff of Aaron was among their staffs. And Moses deposited the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. And on the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted, put forth buds, produced blossoms and bore ripe almonds. You say, well, where did that come from? God. God made life come out of death. There are a lot of people who want to self-appoint themselves. There are a lot of people who want to go around saying, I'm anointed, I'm appointed, I'm a preacher, I'm an apostle, I'm this and I'm that. What I want to know is show me the leaves, the fruit, the blossoms, and the almonds. Show me that. The charismatic church is filled with people who are self-appointed, self-anointed. But what they're really doing is offering strange fire to the Lord. The, The story is always told with time. Give it a night of waiting. And tell me whose rod is budding and whose isn't. Who's producing life and who isn't. Who's flourishing and who isn't the principle of all true ministry are y'all there okay so when god really anoints you it's going to be in spite of you it's going to be beyond you it's going to be something coming out of you that you could never produce on your own then moses brought out all the staffs i love this and he just held up Aaron's in front of everybody and said now let the controversy cease you can't argue with a rod that has budded And they looked, and each man took his staff, and all of them were dead. And the Lord said to Moses, Put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels, that you may make an an end of their grumblings against me, lest they die. So Moses did as the Lord commanded, so he did. And now the tablets quickly. At that time the Lord said to me... Cast, uh, cut, or cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood and I will write down on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood and cut two tablets of stone like the first and went up the mountain with the two tablets in my hand and he wrote on the tablet, that is God In the same way, or in the same writing as before, the Ten Commandments that the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark that I had made. And there they are as the Lord commanded me. So there in that ark, manna, the rod that budded, and the commandments. Now, what do these three items represent to you and to me today in New Testament living? The manna testifies to God's provision. He is our provider. The Aaron's rod is a testimony of God's calling. Whatever God calls you to do, it will flourish, it will produce life. The tablets are a testimony of God's revelation. Okay, God's revelation. Israel led with the ark of the testimony into their inheritance. What did they carry across the Jordan? What went over the Jordan first in front of the people? The ark. What was God saying? You let the ark go in front of you. What was he saying? Never let go of and always let lead you the testimony of of true ministry, the testimony of my provision, and the testimony of my revelation. Never, ever, ever do without those three. The Lord said to Joshua, today I'm going to begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan, And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing before you into the Jordan now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel from each tribe a man and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing what created the miracle where the Jordan split and stacked up on both sides and they crossed over on dry land what did it what went in front of them God's provision, God's revelation, and God's ministry. And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. And they did. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood. They crossed in its most flooded moment. And the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down towards the sea of the uh, Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho, and now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. So two times God parted the waters that would have normally drowned them, the sea and the river. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the entire nation finished passing over the Jordan. Israel overcame their enemies by, watch this, read it with me God's provision, God's calling, and God's revelation. How are you going to defeat your enemy? God's provision, God's calling, and God's revelation. How are you going to come into what God's got for you? God's provision. God's calling and God's revelation Woo, that's rich are you ready how are you gonna get healed God's provision God's calling and God's revelation I'm gonna take it further how are you gonna get delivered from that habit that's vexed you all your life God's provision, God's calling, and God's revelation. How are you going to set the devil running from you? God's provision, God's calling, and God's revelation. This is real New Testament Christianity 101. In our own battles, we will ultimately carry a testimony of either that which God has done or that which God hasn't done. Which of these is your testimony? When people talk to you, what do they hear? What God hasn't done or what God has done? It says in Revelation 12, verse 11, and they have conquered the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of what he has done. For they love not their lives, even unto death. Now, quickly, we're going to end with how to respond to disappointment. Here here you go. Avoid the why question. Ask instead, what's next? Focus your attention and words upon what God has done and is doing. Remain aware of both Jesus' finished work as well as the already not yet dynamic of God's kingdom. Grieve your losses while at the same time anticipating ultimate victory and vindication. Keep praying and contending, expecting heaven to invade earth. Romans teaches this position of grieving losses while still anticipating victory and vindication is the attitude of the entire created order. And this is for you dog lovers. Because I think this is in here. I do. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. Are worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, including dogs, cats, parakeets, your pets who die, says the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation, all the animal kingdom, fishes, everything, was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation, everything God made, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. Groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen in not hope. If you can see it, you don't have to hope for anything because you see it. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not yet see, we wait for it with patience. Amen. Let's stand together, can we? Pastor Ray, if you'll make your way up, I'm going to just pray right now. What do you do with disappointment to get your eyes on what he is doing? When you pray for him to heal you, if you don't get what you were expecting at that particular moment, don't be offended in him. But get involved in what he's doing and swim in that stream. If you've been disappointed in something, I want you to lift your hand tonight. Say, Lord... It might be timing. It might be warfare. But I know you haven't left me. It might be that you're working out something that is way bigger than I could ever imagine. But I give you my disappointment. Now pray it with me. Say, I give you my disappointment. I will not be offended in you. Lord, help me to dive in to what you are doing. And I give my expectations to you. In Jesus' name.